Hello and welcome to the Film Ireland podcast. I'm June Butler and I'll be talking to directors Gary Keane and Andrew McConnell about their documentary Gaza, which is currently screening in Irish cinemas. I know how busy you are. It was released in Sundance mm. and it went very well, I hear. It was incredible. I mean, we had six screenings back to back. 2,500 people-ish went to see it in that amount of time. And it was phenomenal because yeah. Sundance is a festival, you know, it's our first time there, obviously. But we weren't prepared, I think, for the, the attention that a film gets when it goes to Sundance and the, the care that they give it and the appreciation they have for it and the, the, the level of awareness they have about what you're trying to say and how you're trying to say it and cinema language and everything. I mean, it was just phenomenally um, interesting and educational and... Uh, emotional and uplifting and all of those things wrapped up in one it was it was an incredible experience and how long did the screenings run for was it one after the other yeah for six nights for six nights yeah. Yeah. so there was a lot of a lot of people saw it and obviously the the impact on people was huge yeah you, you know you really sensed that as an American audience they had never been exposed to this before they'd never seen this side of Gaza and they had a very if they knew what Gaza was they had one perspective and and that was that you know this is just a place that is full of people who've been demonized and is just mostly rubble and so people would come up to us afterwards and say you know i had no idea gaza was like that and and we had jewish americans come up to us and say thank you for making this film um it's important to show this side of the story so that was really uplifting and and i think one of the best screenings we had was um to a group of high school children um what nationality were they? Oh, they were all Americans from, all Americans, from the yeah. state of Utah and um, incredibly engaged. You know, I think at the end we had a Q&A and uh, the moderator put the questions out to the audience and about 200 hands shot up. And we spoke to one of the teachers later on in the week and said that the, the children had been talking about it all week. They'd been doing projects in class about it. And it really had stimulated an interest in the situation so I mean that was that's exactly what you want to do do you know what it did as well is you know when you get immersed in a film and you have an idea and a concept of, as to what way you're going to tackle it and what way you're going to tell the story and you don't know you're in it so you can't see the wood for the trees and you have to you have to rely on your own instincts and your own abilities and your own experience to get you through through it to the other end but it kind of reaffirmed it immediately that the, the, you know, all the conversations myself and Andrew have had since 2012 about making this film. What it did was it reaffirmed in my head and in Andrew's as well, I think, the, that, that we made the right choices. Yes. That, that the perspective we took and the decisions we made were having an impact and they were having the right type of impact because the right questions were coming back at us. You know, the right... Um, the, you know, the right feeling was coming back at us. When you have, when you have 15 and 17-year-old American children's children saying to you in a room are we implicit in this 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 thing that's happening this horribleness that's happening in gaza are we are our government involved in this should we do something can we do something we don't want to be involved in this was uplifting i don't know like you know what impact it will have going forward but it was just nice to be in a room full of the the next generation of americans and hope against hope that they will change things for the better and, and, and take things, pull, pull them back from yeah. the right, you know. Um, but uh, just to kind of bring you back to the concept and when you start to think about this, like obviously this is something that is, I, I've watched the movie uh, very carefully and to me it absolutely speaks of um, 
integrity and and it speaks it it has it's telling the truth i see truth in every single frame that i've seen and i was moved i i, I watched it last night and i was moved to tears and beautifully shot like it's it's just visually engaging which is I'm sure I know what this is what you want it to be which you want to people to engage with it and then to pass the message on to give this message out there and to keep it going when you first thought of what you were going to do when when did that concept occur was there obviously there's conversations many conversations I'm sure about it but when did that concept when did you think of it first well the whole idea was born out of um, a series of pictures I did on the surfers back in 2010-11 because um, I'm originally a photographer and Gary and I met in 2012 and um, we started discussing Gaza then and um, we both were really passionate about the idea of, of creating something that hadn't ever been done before in Gaza to, to show this place from a perspective that people hadn't seen it from before. So from the very beginning, those talks were they evolved around, let's, let's point the cameras away from these politicians, from groups like Hamas, from, from all of that, which we're all familiar with, and let's just point it towards the people and let them talk about their own situation. And in doing that, that's just a very simple thing to do, but in doing that, you, you, you change the dynamic completely. Yes, she did. I noticed that throughout the movie, that there was no judgment or no political statement or nothing. It was literally let the people tell their story because that's you can't you can't play, replace the truth. No, as soon as you give, start giving a voice to Hamas or to the other side or, or to anyone, um, then you're sort of you're angling the film from one direction or, or another, mm. and then there's bias comes into it and agendas and and we just wanted to avoid all that because that's been done. Like so pictorially, it, it's an it's an amazing piece of journalism. It's it's just so honest and so vibrant. And no, I mean what Andrew brought to it visually was remarkable because of Andrew's. You know, sometimes you think you know that you have to be trained in a discipline, a certain discipline, in order to 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 you know to, to do it properly or do it well. But disciplines can intermingle, disciplines can overlap, and even though Andrew hadn't filmed anything before, he'd spent his entire career taking photographs. Taking photographs and shooting a film, is there's a, there's a small little step you have to take between the two, if you know. But, but from experience point of view, what Andrew had from his 20 years experience in the field was that ability to put himself into situations that other people might not want to put themselves into, and to, to, to keep the camera running for longer than other people might want to keep it running and, and have that sensibility about it. And, and ironically, for the most part, the film has gotten great press, but we have been on occasions, especially from the American press, held accountable as a result of the film looking too nice and being too stylized. And I don't understand that, to be honest, because one of the kind of things that we went into to do and one of the, the, the notions that we expressed hugely to our contributors was that we felt that they deserved the same type of cinematic treatment as anybody else, and why wouldn't they? And I think, you know, this sort of a notion that reality only exists if you create handheld, dirty images that feel real, the cinema verite, it's, it's missing the point. It's missing the point about showing these Gazan people 
as they should be shown. Why, why, why do they not deserve a cinematic treatment? Why do they not deserve to look well on the screen and to be framed properly and to be composed properly and the, the camera to be steady and uh, uh, linger? So, yeah, I think it's, um, it's interesting. You look at the feedback we've been getting it has been phenomenally good for the most part, but you kind of... You kind of think that some people just slightly miss the point about about you know it's not a, it's not a film that me and Andrew set out to make as a film as a statement for what we can do. It's a film that we set out to make for for to raise awareness about a situation that's intolerable and inhumane. And we just decided to do it in this particular way because we felt it deserved that sort of treatment. Mm-hmm. I agree. I loved the there was a gorgeous shots at the beginning, particularly the boys running along the beach, and there was a beautiful. Um, shadowy um, images I think towards the end of the boys the same group of boys on the beach I think there was they were kind of in in like in you couldn't see them they silhouette were just, yeah they were in silhouette they were just mm. oh, they were jumping. dancing dancing were, on the beach yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, they're happy kids you know I just thought that they're really they're happy I, I mean they were a great bunch of really tight-knit brothers who, who obviously adored each other and, and that was their unit and you know but but that speaks to a larger uh, idea that I mean within somewhere like Gaza you don't survive as an individual you you must be part of a group that's how you survive and that's why the families are such tight-knit units there um, and have been for eons past I mean the family unit within the Middle East is how you survive so you can see that within them, they are a band of brothers and they do everything together, go everywhere together. I loved it and I loved the camaraderie between them. What I also liked as well is that throughout the, the film, in every single instance, particularly amongst the men, which I loved the fact that they were so tactile with each other. Like they, they kissed each other, they hugged each other. Um, like they kissed each other on the cheek, but it was, it was a greeting that they had given, it, it's a common greeting, it's not, there's nothing on Oh no, you have to learn to do that absolutely. quite quickly in Gaza. Yes, <laughs> but I love that, I think that is absolutely mm. amazing, I think it's, it's wonderful because they show their emotions and the fact that they're, they're not afraid, to, they see each other, they cry, you know, that, that, that is something I think that they, maybe they realise in the, the trauma of what they're going through, that this is tangible and real and belongs to them. So that emotion is theirs and that they can express it. So that if other things are out of their control, that this is something that they own. They're an incredibly honest people. I mean, you find when you work in Gaza that you develop friendships very, very quickly. Um, They accept you very quickly. You become very, it becomes like a very personal thing very quickly. You know, they wear their heart on their sleeves. You take them as you find them. They're, 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 they expose themselves to you openly. They let you into their hearts and minds and homes. It's hard to actually work in Gaza for the amount of requests you have to go and eat and drink and talk to people, like, and, and literally being stopped on the street to do so. You know, strangers going, welcome, welcome. You, you're walking down the street and you have 10 welcomes in, in, in five minutes. You know, and when they hear we're Irish, it actually adds a new dimension to it because they, they do know about Ireland and they do have this real strong feeling that of all the countries in Europe, Ireland is, is their, they have solidarity with Ireland because they feel that Ireland is the one country that really expresses its pro-Palestinian stance. Um, so it's a beautiful place. Like myself and Andrew were just talking earlier. I mean, if somebody asked a pair of us, where would you like to go tomorrow morning on holidays and pick anywhere? Two of us would go to Gaza. You shot it over four years because I noticed that Ahmed at the end looked older and he'd lost 
that kind of, you know, the really skinny little boy. He was a skinny little boy when he was first shot. It's a long time. So did you have to make multiple? Obviously, you made multiple trips back and forward. Yeah, we first went in 2014, and that's when I met Ahmed. Um, as a little kid, he was. I saw him out at sea. He was a little speck on a little raft, about a kilometre out to sea, and I stood there on the shore and waited for him to come in. And he, he landed on the shore, and all of a sudden, these brothers appeared from everywhere, and there's all this bunch of kids running around. And I just looked at them and thought, this is a very interesting face and a very interesting little character. He had presence, even then. And um, and then, so we filmed him over the years. We went back in 2016. We met further characters, and our last trip was 2018. And so that's when. So he, he had grown. Yeah, I, I could see that. Quite a lot in that space of time. Did you think? I thought he looked slightly and understandably more world weary at that stage. That of he course, looked, I mean, we, we. You know, we, he's been. How many wars were. Yeah, three at least in his yeah. short life stage. But we. we you know, and that's that's his narrative. His narrative starts off with him talking to us about having this dream to be a, to be a big boat captain yeah. and go to sea, and the whole motivation for that is literally to to be able to feed his family and his extended family, and his whole narrative to bring him back full circle at the end and show him as an eighteen-year-old standing at the protests in despair with bullets going over his head. It, it's just that sense of the dream is 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 hollow. Unfortunately, he'll never get to to be what he wants to be and to do what he wants to do. And that last shot of him as a, as a teenager um, heading off into no man's land, into a place that could be anywhere or nowhere, was the image that stuck in our head as being definitely the last image of the film because it's just that little boy who had all these dreams and where are they going? Yeah, absolutely. And then there was the, the, the Backer family where they lost, I believe, in one rocket strike, they lost was it, three or four children. And the father, the son had gone, and a few cousins, I think it was, had gone beyond the three-mile parameter of fishing and was taken by the Israeli um, gunboats. That's and right. the son went to prison for two years. Yes. And so, yeah, you find that that happens quite a lot. I mean, fishermen, fishermen yeah. also lose their lives at sea. And they, 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 they spray them with feces. Yeah, sometimes just, that happens too. Just—it's inhumane. Everything is inhumane in it's regard to the treatment of the people. It's appalling. I like I—I I knew it was bad, but I had no idea. It—it it absolutely is a story that needs to be told. Um, but what I thought was most the the, the back here family when they lost their four children that the father the, was so stoic, and that he was literally he he instead of railing and fronting which he could have done in the circumstances he, he chose to pray and there's a lovely shot of him on the roof praying and obviously lost in his own thoughts and his own grief um, shortly after the, the occurrence um, but the, then the son when he came back from, from um, prison that the, the welcome that he got was quite amazing Yeah you see Guns being fired, you see the the whole parade, then the another one of the militant groups turns up, the PFLP, um, a convoy, and it, it's it's quite an event. I mean, as a, a returning prisoner from Israel is given a hero's welcome, um, and you see that. I mean, and but you see also allegiances to certain groups playing out there, um, and so that's a part of daily life. I mean, families, big families like the Backer family will will be aligned to certain 
certain groups, those allegiances will change and shift and, and maybe they'll combine. So there you had the PFOP come along and then um, we have all those red flags, but that's a part of the dynamic on the ground there. Um, but yeah, certainly it was a hero's welcome for him. Yeah. And tell me, when you got, when you, obviously you first met Ahmed, but how did you meet the other, like, was there links? There's, they seem to link, they seem to know of each other. There seemed to be, I noticed there was a thread running through. Yeah, we wanted, we wanted to kind of, in some small way, kind of show that it's such a small, small place. You know what I mean? It's only 27 miles by whatever, six or seven. And, um, the casting process was an ongoing, very, very long process that happened continuously over four years. I mean, when when we were when Andrew was in there, he did some casting. When when we were back here, we had a great fixer, Fadi, over on the ground who we throw suggestions at, and he really understood what we were looking for and would throw suggestions back. I met such and such. Would you be interested in such and such? And he'd do little pieces with them, or he'd show, you know, take photographs of them. And so it was a real. It was a real kind of a, a, a process that we went through, but we always knew from day one that we were going to make a film that had a tapestry of characters, young, old, male, female, from all different walks of life, because we felt that in order to tell the story of Gaza, which is a very simple title that we put on the film, it's just Gaza, that that needed to be a broad spectrum of cross-section of everyone that lived on the strip insofar as we could we could do that within the confines of 90 minutes but so we shot with a lot more people than we actually made it into the film but we always had to stick to that initial notion that we had which was that we wanted a large cast which wasn't easy you know what I mean because you can't you can't go in and wreck you can't go it's like not like going down to Galway to find a few characters for a couple of days you know what I mean so you know we had to rely on, on help on the ground and there and then when we were in there, in, you know, in 15 and, and, and 18, we did an awful lot of work on the ground, as well as filming with the people that we prepared to film with. We were always on the lookout for characters, you know, all the time. So it was a gradual build-up over four years. And I suppose, you know, even though it was frustrating that it took us that long to make it, um, primarily because of funding difficulties, um, in hindsight, it wasn't probably a bad thing because it allowed us that time to really develop relationships and find the right people and, and you know, get the whole sense of the film into our heads to go into the edit, you know. There's, um, I love the, the, the concept of travel in the, in the film. There's a lot of, there, and, and it seems like, as, as a viewer, it, to me it looked like though the, the film started off with a, a, a concept of space, even though there wasn't and that it gradually moved closer and closer to the middle, which was ultimately short, sharp shocks of massive violence and uh, people getting injured and killed. And it, it became tighter and tighter as the, as the film, you know. Uh, and so it started off slowly, but reached this culmination at the end, which I thought was a really good concept because it gave people time to grasp the seriousness of it and the, the tragedy of this and to me it like I, I look now and I would say it's this is not just an, an oppression this looks to me like it's genocide that it's attempted genocide that they're trying to strangle the people I don't know what the the, the purpose is at the, at the at this point of keeping these people so utterly oppressed because they've embedded like political factions into the, the populace and um, it means that these people are going to be more likely to not agree to anything 
and um, it just looks to me like as though there, there's an attempt to 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 kill off the population that they're they're denying them medicines they're denying them contact they're denying them everything and, and I mean what about mental illness what about post-traumatic stress disorder every single person there must suffer from that it's to some degree or another there's no treatment for anybody there so there's probably people untreated huge amount of mental illness in Gaza that nobody even talks about or how could they well there's a huge amount of trauma there's no doubt about it and yeah there's very few psychologists inside Gaza um I mean, the way the, play, the, the, the film sort of develops in, in a sense that we try to follow sort of what life is like for the average person in Gaza. You know, we open and it is quite... It's comfortable to begin with. I mean, you see people living out their lives um, in, in, in sort of... in ways that are quite normal. There's, there's nothing untoward that really appears at the beginning when we see little Ackman trying to... Dreaming of being a and fisherman. The huge, the huge, great big trousers on him. God bless him. Like yeah, they nearly go through right. his neck. It's just this mm. huge pair of trousers, like the, the kind of the sou'wester trousers. Oh, God I know, him. and he's so yeah. thin. I mean, you can yeah, see he's that he's, he's he's malnourished. Yeah. Yes. And they all are, but uh, because I mean, they live in a refugee camp, and very often, as he says himself, you know, some days we eat nothing but salt. The sea gives them almost nothing. Um, I, I mean, that family is unique. That's not the norm. It's it's important to point out, I mean, even though there's 40 children, the father has 40 children, I mean, he has three wives, that, that is not the norm in Gaza. There are big families, yeah. but mostly well, it's did, in around... He did say that, he did mention that he thought he had the largest family in Gaza. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, um, but no, in terms of everybody, you know, we, I mean, we're just introduced to them in a sort of in a quiet way, but, but what it's important to drive home is that these people live under a constant threat of a looming war. And that psychological pressure is huge. None of us can really imagine it, um, what it must be like. I mean, I, I covered the war in 2014, but then I'm able to leave, you know, and I'm able to go out somewhere else and travel, take a holiday. That, that, that is unimaginable to me because I, I know it was, it was tough enough just covering that and then going away. I mean, I remember coming home um, back to Neskillen and spending some time in Donegal and uh, visiting the coast and just sort of decompressing after that. Nobody none of the Gazans were able to do that. They stayed inside Gaza, cleaned up the remains of their homes, tried to put some sort of semblance of a life back together. If they'd lost loved ones, they had to also grieve at the same time. And then they had to get on with it, but, but deal with the fact that this could happen again quite quickly. And there has been escalations, a lot of escalations um, since then. I mean, earlier this year it looked like they were on the brink of war. It was very, very close to war again. Um, it's quite remarkable that they stepped back from it, actually, both sides. And it's encouraging that they did. But, but to get back to the sort of overall narrative arc, yeah, we see that in the film and we see that, that pressure build throughout because the pressure is always there. It is a pressure cooker. And, and, and at the end, yes, it comes. And, and you see what it's like to live under bombardment. It was... Um, what do you hope is the legacy of this movie, what would you like? I mean, all we hope for is, is to, to get people to watch it and to, 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 for the first time, we think, we think we've created a piece of work that is unique um, from the perspective that we told it from, you know, that allows the voiceless people of Gaza 
talk and let them drive their own narrative. I mean, we didn't get involved. There's no voiceover in the film. We didn't involve ourselves in the, in the editorial. You know, and never, never would have for a second. But we would just hope that people come away with a complete, fresh, new understanding of what Gaza is and what it's trying to be. And, you know, that it creates an empathy that, that wouldn't be there by watching 30-second news footage of, you know, here's another you know, conflict after breaking out in Gaza and everyone becomes so de desensitized to it because it's on recurring news and it's shown four times a day but people pass it and move on to the next thing. We hope that by allowing people to sit there and watch this narrative unfold for an hour and a half and really start feeling that these people are just like us. All they want to do is the simplest, have the simple... That's all. I mean, it's not a big ask. It shouldn't be in this day and age a big ask. They're not looking for any privileges they're not looking for any special attention they're not looking for they're, they're not actually even looking for attention per se at all apart from the attention they need for people to actually realize that something has to be done very very quickly to get them out of the situation they're in because they feel incredibly let down by everybody by, by politics internally externally and by the, the international community at large because there just doesn't seem to be a will on any side to change this and that's the frightening thing about it, you know. It's it, just if, if there was a will, we know ourselves in, in 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 the context of Northern Ireland, like, you know, by the time they actually, you know, it took a long time, but when they actually sat around and decided they wanted to fix things, they fixed it very quickly. And that, that's possible in Gaza. That could happen in the morning, if the vested interests in Gaza got around the table and trashed out a deal. The borders could be open in the morning, and it wouldn't be what is you know, popular promotion in terms of the Israeli uh, media machine that, that there'd be chaos raining down on, Gaza, on, on Israel. There was a time when, when the borders were open and, and half of Gaza went in and out of Israel and worked and came home in the evening and it was a normal situation. So, you know, this notion that Gaza is, is, is a, an a, a, you know, a terrorist enclave and that if they open the borders, all hell will break loose is, is a complete fabrication. It's very easy to, to create it as a, or to def define it as a, as, an, as this type of It's a created entity. story. It's a created, yeah. fabricated it, it, story that has no you basis. Once have control over media, and once you have control over most media, because there's very few people who would have actually gone in and done what you did. Well, there's a, there's a, you know, there's a, there's a concerted effort to, to control it to such a degree that they don't want films like, like ours to be made. You know. Did you find any difficulties when you were making the film? Did you find any untoward attention, or did you simply were you able to access Gaza easily enough? Or look, did you go through the normal the normal protocol in terms of getting in and out? You know. But, um, but, you know, we didn't have to point out exactly what we were doing or how we were doing it. We, we didn't hand them the script, <laughs> you know. Exactly. Um, but, you know, I don't, think it's, I don't think it's something that they would want. They don't want people to look at the people of Gaza as being human because the whole process is a dehumanizing yes. one. And that serves purposes to, to keep it that way. So, um, I, I read a book once um, called... Um, it's the tipping point by Malcolm Gladwell. I don't know if you've heard of it. Basically, Gladwell's book is about how little things can make a big difference, or seeming little things can make a big difference, and that the law of the few dependent on is dependent on the involvement of people with a rare set of social gifts, and then those three sets of social gifts are um, connectors. So connectors would be people who know large numbers of people. Um, and then the next one is the maven who'd be info specialists and they accumulate knowledge and know how to share it. And finally, it's salesmen who are persuaders, charismatic people with 
with powerful negotiation skills. I look at that movie and I see those three in it. You've, you've given the message, we've got the message, and now it's up to us to, to, to get it out there and to make sure that people know. Well, we hope so. I mean, we hope we could have achieved that. You know, as documentary makers, I think, I think the most important role for us is to, is to tell stories from places where, that are misunderstood or stories that people aren't familiar with. Certainly, I'm, I think myself and Gary aren't really that interested in going to tell the story of some place that we, we're all familiar with, that we, that we know quite well. I, I don't think we add anything by going there. What, our great strength is that we're able to, we're prepared to access somewhere like this where not many people want to go to. And, but we're prepared to spend this amount of time on the ground just with a desire to open people's eyes, to show them another side, to promote understanding, because when there's misunderstanding, there's a, it's very easy for people to project falsehoods onto, onto someone like the Palestinians. And you see that, that happening time and time again through disingenuous politicians. And you see now, currently, the effect that that has and the, the really damaging effect it has on societies is, is far-reaching. And so if we can do anything to, to temper that, then I think it's extremely worthwhile. It's a case of history being written by the victors. Isn't that really what it's about? And so you have a very powerful group of people who are able to write history, and this is what they're doing. And it's up to us to say, no, that's not, that's not what it's about at all, and you've got the wrong end of the stick, and here's what's really going on. And that's what your, that's what your film has done. Well, look at you know. To be honest with you, I mean, I've been making films for a long time, and Andrew's been doing some serious, brilliant work for a long time. But it's it, this project above any other that I've ever done. It's not about us feeling great about what we've done at all. It's not about us uh, us being happy about a film. We're just the happiest thing that me and Andrew saw tonight was a cue to the cinema, and it wasn't that they were going to come out and clap us on the back. It was that there was another two hundred and something people going to experience what it's like to live in Gaza. And that fills us full of hope. The good thing about making a film, uh, as opposed to other mediums, is that it will live on. It's not going to disappear ever. If, to, if in 20 years' time someone Googles Gaza, it will be a moment in time, a four-year little moment in time, where it tells the story of a place and by, 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 told by the people themselves. And there's nothing I'd hope for more than in 20 years' time, or even in less time, that they'd be looking back going, oh my God, look what it was like then. Thankfully, it's not like that anymore. There's freedom and people can do what they should be allowed to do, and, and, and that has gone away. But look, what you do what you can. You put it out there. Um, I remember a good friend of mine, Dermot Healy, God rest him. Um, I did a, a film on him years ago, and he, he always said, I said, what does it feel like when you finish a book? And he goes, well, it feels like it's not mine anymore. And once it goes out, it becomes the public public spook it's theirs now they can do whatever they want with it they can like it dislike it they can throw it in the corner or they can read it 10 times but it's there it's i put it there i minded it i nurtured it <laughs> I, I i i give birth to it and now it's out there and it's not mine anymore you know and that's all i think that you can hope that happens that we put it out there and people watch well, the it. message i i certainly got the message so i'm really grateful to you thanks so many for coming in Pleasure. Pleasure. Thank you. Absolutely Thank you. lovely. Thanks for talking. Yeah. People from the outside countries, they can see other than the fact that we live in constant wars. And it bothers me so much.
they only see the side they want to see. They should look deeper.